may be seated and invite you to take your Bible and turn to John, Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 18, John's uh, prologue, his introduction to his gospel. And uh, in case you didn't know, uh, verses 1 through 14 is what Brenda read this morning in Spanish. And so, uh, John chapter 1, and as you make your way there, I want to ask you a question. I probably know what you're going to say, but I thought I'd ask just in case. How many of you believe that there are two gods? Nobody. Okay. Well, that's good, because there isn't. There's just one. But how many of you view the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in this way? Uh, the, the Father, the, the Old Testament God, is a, a mean, curmudgeon, sour, wrathful, vengeful, uh, kind of unpleasant guy to be around. But the New Testament God, Jesus well, now, he's the guy you want to hang out with at the party, right? He's more friendly, talks about love. He's way nicer than the Old Testament God. That thought pervades a lot of people's perceptions of who God is. It's popular in our culture. But when we come to John chapter 1, what John does is obliterate any sense of thinking as Jesus as fundamentally different in his nature, in his character, in his attributes as the Father. When we look at John chapter 1, John is very clear that this Jesus who has come into the world has not just come to kind of be the, the intermediary between the, the angry uh, Father God and, and the people that he loves and he's somehow trying to bargain and say, you know, God, maybe, maybe not be so mad at them. Um, no, what we see in John's gospel at the very beginning is that the same God who spoke in Genesis 1 is the same God who now comes and speaks through lips of flesh. The same God who created the human body takes on a human body. And so this morning, I want us to look at John chapter 1. And last week, we kind of focused on the humanity of Jesus. And this week, we want to focus on the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. Everything that makes God God, Jesus had. And everything that makes us human, except for sin, Jesus had. And so this morning, I want us to look at verses 1 through 18 and the main takeaway, the big idea this morning is I want you to see this, that in Christ, the Creator comes to save His people through His grace, which is truly and fully revealed. Let me say that again. In Christ, the Creator comes to save His people through His grace, which is truly and fully revealed revealed. Our Creator, God the Creator, enters His creation. We see that in verses 1 through 
5, look at what John says. He says, in the beginning, now you know what that sounds like, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. So before the beginning began, the Word was there. And it says that the Word was with God. So not only is the Word there before the beginning, He's there with God. The only person outside of the beginning is God. God is the one who said, in the beginning, let there be. So now this Word, John says, is there in the beginning with God. But why is that? Look at what he says. And the Word was God. So John uses this word for word. It's the word logos. And this is a a word that has a kind of a heavy meaning, or we might say a significant meaning at the time. The, The logos was this idea that there was this organizing principle, this this deep wisdom, or if you, if you read uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, it talks about the deep magic. There's this deep wisdom that orders creation, that, that finds its center. Uh, creation finds its center, and it's this, this word. And John is saying that this word was with God in the beginning, and it was God. Look at verse 2. It says... He was with God in the beginning. So he's there. So if we were to rewind the tape of creation, you remember videotapes and you had to rewind it and it got to the end after you rewound, rewinded? Figure it out later and let me know. After you you went all the way back, the tape would stop. If we went all the way back to the tape of creation at the very beginning, he says that he was with God in the beginning, outside of time. Outside of existence, he's there with God. So understand that if he's outside of time, that means there was no time before then. He's with God. He, he was with God forever. There was never a time when he wasn't with God. But then look at verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So we said our creator comes God created the triune God created creation was an act of the father the son and the holy spirit you cannot escape right the the triune God's work in creation and all things were created through Christ so if you think of it this way all of creation is under the umbrella is under the the dominion and under the purview, the oversight of Christ, right? The writer of Hebrews talks about this, that that the, the universe is upheld by the power of Christ's word. The only reason that the cosmos does not collapse in on itself is simply because Christ says that it should continue. And so he is the one through whom all things were created. In other words, think of it this way, there's nothing in creation that we see that did not pass through the hands of the Lord Jesus in the beginning. There's no place on earth in the cosmos. You cannot travel the millions of light years to the edge of the universe and escape Jesus' fingerprints over creation. So there's this word that created all things. All things were created through him. And John says, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Not one atom, not one molecule, not one chromosome. All of it was created through him. 
And that's why John says in verse 4, in him was life. Life has its source and its origin in him. And that life was the light of men. Verse 5, that light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Going back to creation, when God spoke and he said, let there be light, right? The same God that said, let there be light is the God who has now come. He sounds like the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8. If just listen to Proverbs chapter 8 in verse 27 and following, this is about wisdom. This is wisdom as a person. It says, I was there when God established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above and when the fountains of the ocean gushed out, when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command, when he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was a skilled craftsman beside him. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. I was rejoicing in his inhabited world, delighting in the children of Adam. So this is this wisdom, this word, and John is referring to Jesus. And so Jesus is this wisdom, this creator, this uh, word, the organizing principle I love the way one writer puts it, uh, a writer by the name of Malcolm Geith. He writes about this, this wisdom that organizes creation. And he, he says, the mind behind the mind through which I seek, the light within the light by which I see, the word beneath the words which I speak. Jesus and his work is imprinted all over creation. The thoughts that you think cannot be thought unless Jesus has thought. The memories that you have cannot be possible unless Jesus is reminding you. We think of this wisdom, a lot of times it's show me the wisdom, and this is a scientific mindset, right? Point to that thing that proves that there is a God, that that, that one thing, and, and what John comes along and says is, Jesus is not just a thing that you point to. He is the foundation of all of it. Anything you point to, anywhere and everywhere where you say, how does this point to a creator? John is saying, it does. He is not a being that you point to. He is the ground of all being. He defines all the definitions. He is the wisdom behind all wise understanding. So this is the God. This is the creator that comes and enters his creation. Because what will John say? We're going to get there, but just peek ahead. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You say, why spend so much time on this? I want you to understand who it is that came to save you, to rescue you. God sent his son and it was the Word, the, the pre-existent, eternal Word, the Son of God that was with God in the beginning, through whom God created. He is the God who created, and it's this God who comes to ransom and rescue you. So we said, in Christ the Creator comes, and why does He come? To save His people. You see in verse 6, 
He comes to save his people. John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone and was coming into the world. So John here equates light and life. Jesus comes, the word of God comes to bring light and life. There is no, uh, there's, it's not a coincidence that when, you're, uh, when you take your plants and you bring them inside and if you put them in a dark closet, what's going to happen to them? They're going to shrivel up and die, right? You, you, your plants need sun. They need exposure. It, look up studies on what the sun does to your own body. If you go look up the, the neuro, uh, neurological effect of sunlight on your brain. Have you ever just walked out into the sun in a beautiful, it was a beautiful day, a brisk day, and, and your spirit just kind of lifts? Right? There's a reason why when it rains all the time, if it rains for a week straight, you don't really see sunlight, you just kind of get bummed out, right? There's a connection, light and life. And John is saying that John the Baptist comes to testify about this light, that whoever believes in him might receive this light and life. So John is testifying about this uh, individual. Then look at verse 10. It says, he... This is the word of God. This is Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What does John mean there? Well, I think what he's saying is that Jesus came to the people of Israel, and many of them rejected him. They saw him as not, they didn't see him as the Messiah. They might even be willing to say he was a prophet, but he was not the Messiah. And he certainly wasn't God. That's what they would say. And so they did not receive him. But those who did, look at what John says in verse 12. But all who did receive him, notice, receive, not change to be what we like him to be, but received him as he is, right? This gift that has come. If you gave somebody a gift and the first thing they did said, I'm going to change this about it, and I'm going to change that about it, and actually I'm just going to take it back because I don't like it at all, right? That, that's what uh, the temptation is to do with Jesus, but it says all who received him as he is, look at this, he gave them the right to be children of God. So Jesus comes and when we receive him, we become children of God. And how do we receive him? Look at what he says. To those who believe in his name. So the creator enters his creation to save his people. He brings light. He brings life. And we become his children when we believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? It means that you believe that he is who he says he is. That when Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I am the Lord, I am the promised one, I am the Son of God, I am God, that we believe it. And we so believe it that we simply receive it. We don't change it. And even when we do that, notice, 
that when we say God came to save his people, we're not saying that he came to make us savable or to make us worthy of saving because, look, let's just stop. If we just stop right there, okay, all I have to do is believe in his name. That's simple, okay? I believe. Well, here's the thing. You didn't even do that of your own. Something had to happen to you and to your heart because look at what it says. Those who were born, verse 13, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh. In other words, you and of your flesh, no matter how good I make Jesus sound to you, you in and of your flesh will not go, you know what, sign me up. Your flesh, your pride, your idolatry will prevent you. You will not be able of your own to come to God unless God changes your heart. That's exactly what Jesus came to do, right? Because it says, who are not born of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. In other words, I can't make you do it. There's only one hope. What does he say? Not of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came, our creator comes and enters his creation to save his people by doing what is necessary that our hearts might be changed, that we might believe and receive him. Do you remember the last time you talked to an expert on something? I don't know when the last time was you talked to an expert, but, but have you ever talked to an expert and they, you just immediately know this guy or this gal knows what they're talking about. There's no question. They absolutely know what they're talking about and such that it brings you a comfort. It brings you a, a peace that I can trust what they're saying. When we say the creator comes, that's why it matters. This is not somebody who read about the creator and we're trusting what they say. This is not somebody who studied years and years about the creator that we're trusting what they're saying. The creator himself has come and told us what we need. And we see this in verse 14. How, so he enters our creation to save his people. And what is John saying? How does he do this? What's the, what is it that, that kind of kickstarts it? Look at verse 14. He dwells among us. Wouldn't it have been so easy if God could have just waited till email was invented? Just, you know, you check your email one morning. By the way, it's me. I'm the Messiah. You need to acknowledge your sins and trust me for forgiveness and I'll give you eternal life. You would delete that probably right after the one about the Nigerian prince, right? But no, he, he comes. This word becomes flesh. Do not miss the... the, the we, we glance over that because we know it, but, but don't miss this. The eternal word, the creator, the one true God in his son Jesus Christ, the word becomes flesh. The word becomes, not wraps himself in. Jesus coming is not God putting on a skin coat. He becomes flesh. And he dwells among us. So our creator enters creation to save his people. How? By dwelling among us. 
and by dwelling among us, that's how we learn of grace truly and fully revealed. Remember our main idea that he came to save his people through his grace, which is truly and fully revealed. Where do you see that? Well, look at verse 14. It says, he dwelt among us. Literally, he became flesh and he tabernacled among us. This is what God does, right? He, he comes and he establishes a residence. He, he had a residence with the tabernacle. He had a residence with the temple. But now this is not God in a building. This is God in the flesh. This is God himself walking among us, able to be touched, able to be seen. And then John says, we observed his glory. What kind of glory? The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So John says, we saw Jesus, who Isaiah would say he had no appearance or form that we would take notice of him. John says, we saw Jesus, and in looking at Jesus, we see the glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, in flesh and blood. And John says, full of grace and truth. So he comes full of grace and full of truth. If you skip down to verse 17, it says, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus do? He comes to dwell among us, to teach us, to show us, to reveal to us fully and truly the grace of God. Don't miss this. Imagine that there was a family member that you were estranged and you lived on separate sides of the planet. You haven't spoken in years. You don't know if they're even alive anymore. Then imagine one Christmas they show up at your door and the first thing they say to you is this, I love you, I'm here, I forgive you. Would that not rock your world? And is that not exactly what Jesus has done? Jesus came to show us grace. Yes, to show us the price of our sins. He goes to a cross and he's crucified and the, the wrath of God is poured out on Christ because of our sins. Absolutely, we see the price of our sins. But in seeing the price of our sins, are we not also seeing the grace of God that he would be willing to pay that price for you? That God would so love you that he would send his son. That his son would come and do that in your place, on your behalf so that you might know His grace. He is full of grace and truth. Jesus comes to bring us not a limited amount of grace, but an unlimited amount of grace. Then we look at verse 15. It says, John testified concerning Jesus and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one is coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And then what does 
John then say, John the gospel writer, indeed, what we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. All right, grandparents, let's have a little talk. Not my. Some of you buy way too many Christmas presents. I mean, you go in there. Oh, I see shoulder tapping. Okay. All right. But think about this. Okay. I'm just, I'm being a little bit facetious. I know you're, they're not spoiled. They're just well-loved. Um, you, you, you see all these presents under the tree and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is way too much. We can't fit it all. I don't know how this is all going to fit in the house. I don't know. We're going to have to, you know, build a second story or, and all this other stuff. But then imagine after you've opened all the presents, boys, girls, moms, dads, then imagine the grandparents went out to the car and got the exact same amount and brought them in for the kids to open again. When John says that Jesus came to give grace upon grace, John is saying that even when you think you've exhausted all the grace, when you've opened up all the grace, there's no more grace. There's no possible way God could be gracious to you again. All the presents are gone. John says there's a whole nother carload outside where God is willing to give you grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness. And how is that possible? It's not because it's a physical supply. And it's not because somebody else is paying it. Look at From His fullness. Let's assume God sent somebody besides Jesus. Say, uh, somebody who was not God in the flesh. Somebody who was limited and finite. There would be no fullness to draw from. There would be no unlimited bank account of grace from which you could withdraw whenever you needed. He says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. When we, when we receive grace, it's, God does not have levels that dip, right? He's not like when you go to these restaurants, you know, you go and you, if they have like tea in the canister, you know, the thing, and you go and sometimes it runs out and you have to tilt it. it that doesn't happen with His grace. Why is that possible? Look at verse 17. He says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. So what I want you to understand is that Jesus is not, God is not like, he, Jesus is the physician that makes house calls. He's not the physician that does Zoom calls, right? Like just, let's do a Zoom, a tele, a tele, uh, what's it called? Tele, telehealth, right? You know, like on the screen. No, Jesus came, he dwells among us. Jesus is not grace and truth and mercy and salvation from a call center in India where you, where you call in and, and it's just kind of like, I'm going to walk you through how to fix your computer. 
No, this is God coming. And so our only hope then is if Jesus comes. And I want to tease this out very quickly. The only hope that we have of this assurance of grace is if God himself shows us that he will be gracious to us. He can tell us, but he also shows us. Because, excuse me, here's the thing. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. None of us in our own imaginations would dream up a God this gracious. We simply wouldn't. We would not, because in all of our relationships, we would draw a line somewhere, wouldn't we? You've wronged me for the millionth time. I'm done. You have failed this again. We're done. You've been unfaithful again. We're done. We have our limitations. And John is saying no one has ever seen God. No one would ever know and could really wrap their minds around this fullness of grace, this fullness of truth, this fullness of light and life. None of us would in our own minds reason our way to that the same God who created us would be the same God who would come to die for us. Our only hope is if God reveals himself, and that's exactly what he's done in Jesus. In the coming of Jesus, this is God himself saying, this is who I am. This is me. And that's why he says, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. That word there is such a beautiful word, revealed. He has expounded. It's the word that we get our word exegesis from. When you, you exegete a passage, you're, you're drawing out the meaning. What does it say and, and what does it mean? Jesus is the one who reveals what the Father is like. In other words, if you want to know what the Father is like, you only need to look at Jesus. And that is why we can be sure that when Jesus promises grace, the Father is not behind the scenes going, I don't know, we'll see. He's not there going, well, you made a promise that I can't keep. The God who created us came to save us. He did not abandon us. He did not leave us to perish forever, on and on without end. So hear me, Christmas... Christmas is God's love and His grace on full display. At Christmas, His love is on full display. And then at Calvary, we see how deep that love goes. So as we approach, get even closer to Christmas, don't forget that what we behold, what we see when we celebrate Christmas is God demonstrating, the Father demonstrating, Christ demonstrating His love for His people, His love for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have been so good to us in sending Your Son, Jesus. And thank You, Jesus, that You came that you lived a perfect life without sin and that you died on the cross in the place of sinners. Lord, we thank you for those of us who are in Christ that you've done that supernatural work. 
that we might believe and receive Christ. But then for those who may be here who have never done that, Lord, help them to see the great love that you have for them, the great call uh, to find rest and, and joy and grace in Christ. Lord, for some of us, we're going to need that grace as we get closer to the holidays. And for some of us, we need that grace right now because of the morning we've had or because of the week we had or the week we're going to have. Lord, help us to see that we can never overdraft on your grace. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.